Hello and welcome to another episode of the RPG Academy podcast. I am Michael, and I have brought along a special guest co-host today, James Introcasso of the Don't Split the Podcast Network, which features shows such as Tabletop Babble, uh, Half Spell Look Will Travel, and The Venture Maidens. He's also the, I guess, lead writer behind World Builder Blog and any winning blog about RPGs. James, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Michael. It is an honor to be here. I really love the podcast. You guys do awesome work. Thank you very much. We uh, we featured you and Rudy a while back about the Half Spellbook Would Travel. Uh, that is a very fun show. Hopefully people remember that. If you're new, definitely go check that out. You used to be part of um, a, a different podcast, The Tome Show. You were with them for a very long time. And essentially, Tabletop Babble is kind of the same show, but it's now separated into your own network? Yeah, yeah. So I was part of the Tome Show network. I had a podcast called The Roundtable on the Tome Show where we talked a lot about D&D news. That was really the specific focus. And so I wanted to branch out a little bit more, cover advice, cover other RPGs, have more interviews with people. And so I was able to do that. We left on great terms with Jeff Greiner. We're super, Rudy Basso and I, my co-founder, super Super, super, super grateful to him for helping us get our start and everything. We were just growing in a different direction, but he's still a great friend. Uh, he actually was just on an episode of The Roundtable that will be released very soon about the Forgotten Realms. So Rudy and I launched Don't Split the Podcast Network, which Tabletop Babble is on. It's what I wanted it to be. Advice, reviews, talking about RPGs that aren't just D&D. It's pretty great. Uh, it is inspired by great podcasts like this one. And I need to come clean because I realized I stole the RPG Academy tagline for Tabletop Babble. I didn't do it oh, on no. purpose, but at the end of every episode, I say RPGs are like sex. As long as everybody's having fun, you're doing it right. And that is totally your tagline, and I am so sorry for stealing it. And I have modified myself just a few episodes back. I started just saying RPGs are like sex and drop the if you're having fun, you're doing it right. Because I believe I did not steal the sex part from you. So that's it. I just say RPGs are like sex because I don't want to be an intentional idea thief. <laughs> uh, I was an accidental one. And when I realized my mistake, I had to correct it. So <laughs> that is where that is. A thousand apologies to you, Michael. Well, I am very proud of our tagline. I do not believe for a second I am the first person to have said that. <laughs> so I, I'm sure I have borrowed it from someone subconsciously or otherwise at myself. Uh, but it's funny is I've actually said before that running your first game is like sex. Uh. Is it's going to be awkward. You're going to make funny faces and it will probably end up with someone crying. But if you keep doing it, it will get better over time. That's a good so metaphor. If you want to take that one... <laughs> Awesome. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> well, James, again, I'm very excited to have you on the show. Uh, we're going to talk about dungeon crawls. Yes. You know, of of all the shows we did, I think this is going to be faculty meeting 116. I may be off on my numbering. It'll be correct when I post it. But we've done over 100 of these faculty meeting episodes, as well as bonus episodes. I've been on other podcasts. We've never talked specifically about dungeon crawls. Because I am not good at running them, mm. so I just don't. <laughs> you know, that's just been, I, I started playing when I was, was pretty young, and I would run dungeon crawls, because that's what you did. You know, you mm -hmm. got basic D&D, sure. yeah, yeah. it, it was a dungeon crawl, and I wasn't a very good DM, so my players weren't having fun. And I thought it was because I was running dungeon crawls, not because I was a terrible DM as a child. 
so I just got away from doing it. And as I got better at being an R- a DM, people started having more fun. But I've kind of stayed away from dungeons. I've I've fairly pretty much avoided them. Uh, <laughs> if I have them, they're very short. The, they're usually like three or four rooms. It's not a very big complex. It's just this little area. But re- recently, I've kind of got the idea like I'd like to do a dungeon crawl. I'd like to just try it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I thought, why not get someone on the show who might know a little bit more about it than I do, mm-hmm. uh, and we can share some some experiences. Mine may be bad, hopefully yours positive <laughs> on how on how we can run a good one. So before we get too far into that, we want to take a moment to talk about why we're here. Yeah. So the reason that we gather for these faculty meetings is so that myself and my guests, we can talk about role-playing games. And we hope that through these conversations, we can share some of the experiences that we've gleaned from those many years of playing tabletop RPGs. But we understand that the opinions we share and the advice we give may not work at every table every time. But there is one piece of advice that we feel is pretty universal. And James, what is that one piece of advice? That RPGs are like sex. As long as everybody's (laughs) having fun, you're doing it right. That's right. That's it, right? (laughs) That is correct. Uh, so no matter what game you play, the system or edition, what rules you use, don't use, or misuse. As long as your table's having fun, you're doing it right. Uh, so with that out of the way, do we have any announcements this morning? So up top, uh, thank you for mentioning, of course, the website uh, for the Don't Split the Podcast Network.com and WorldBuilderBlog.com. Those are two sites people can use to get updates on me. Uh, and as far as Gen Con goes, we are having a free Q&A panel if you're going to Gen Con on Thursday night. Uh, there are still tickets left. Uh, come check it out. It's going to be me and Rudy Basso and Vegas Lancaster, Alex Basso, Celeste Conowich, and Brittany Quintero from the Venture Maidens will be there. We're going to be taking questions. There will be prizes. And there's going to be a secret hangout afterwards. The location will be revealed at the panel. So come to our free panel at Gen Con on Thursday night and then come have hangouts afterwards. It's going to be great. Just search DSPN on the Gen Con event kinder. It's the only thing that comes up. Well, that's good SEO there for son. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sometimes having a super long uh, network name is really good for us. <laughs> so uh, for us, we actually, you know, obviously with the RPG Academy and we have the RPG Academy Network. So RPGAN would be great, except that's something that already exists. Wow. And it, yeah, it's uh, it's like an organization of role players. So it's, it's very closely related, but they haven't used it in years. Right. Yeah. We thought about kind of sneaking in and maybe start using that, but then we're afraid if they come back, that it will cause confusion. So we've kind of avoided it. But the RPGAN is kind of what we internally, like, we don't spell that out every time. (laughs) We're just like the RPGAN, and everybody knows what we're talking about. That's great. So as for ourselves, yes, same thing, Gen Con. uh, We have our pre Gen Con meetup, which I think you might be coming to, or some of the people from your podcast network. Yes, I will be there with Vegas Lancaster, who is one of the cast members of. have Spellbook Will Travel. I'm super excited to hang out with you on Wednesday. Yeah. I am as well. That is Wednesday night around five o'clock until basically we get tired. Uh, we're also doing two panels on DMing, uh, basic and then advanced at nine and 10 a.m. on Thursday. A few tickets left for both of those. As, as James says, these are free, but if we if the tickets are taken and then we collect them, we're more likely to get space again next year. Uh, and then we have a panel on RPG podcasting Friday night at 9 o'clock. There's still a few uh, tickets left for that as well. And then, of course, I cannot not mention a Catacon, which, again, James, 
you're going to be there. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait to go. Uh, I've had a lot of people tell me that I should go. This is my first time. Uh, Jim McClure, uh, Shane from Total Party Thrill, uh, Kenneth Height, they all told me that I had to go. Uh, it looks like people have a blast whenever they go to a catacomb, so I can't wait. I'm going to be there. Uh, so will Rudy Basso, the co-owner of Don't Split the Podcast Network with me. It's going to be awesome. I am excited as well. We've had more vendors jump on just the last few days. We started selling some tickets, which makes me very excited because we didn't sell as many player tickets as I was expecting through the Kickstarter, but I think we'll get there before it happens. So if you're interested in coming to see us or James or anyone else that might be there or just be a person there that other people want to come and see you, uh, go to Eventbrite, search for a Catacon. It will find it. Uh, Tickets are available on there. So with that out of the way, uh, let's tell people how they can get a hold of us. Obviously, you can find me on Twitter at the RPG Academy. You can find my regular co-host, Caleb, at the Caleb G. And you can email the show at therpgacademy at gmail.com. And James, where can people find you on the interwebs? So people can find me on Twitter at James Intracasso. That's I-N-T-R-O-C-A-S-O. You could check out my uh, blog, worldbuilderblog.com. Or you could uh, head on over to uh, don'tsplitthepodcastnetwork.com. Those are some of the best places to check out where I am and what I'm doing and keep in touch. And if I may, if I may, people should contribute to the RPG Academy Patreon. Think about it this way, right? Uh, Maybe five bucks a month is something you're thinking you can't afford. But do you get a coffee at Starbucks every day? Once a month, could you maybe make instant coffee at home or something? Then, bam, you've got the five bucks a month to give to the RPG Academy, something that puts out amazing content multiple times a week. So uh, I am a Patreon. I contribute at the $5 level. You get lots of awesome extras. But uh, it's a free thing uh, that is put out into the world that is amazing. So go ahead and uh, go contribute. Give up one cup of coffee a month uh, or a pack of cigarettes or several packs of gum however you want to do it uh and give to these people because it is amazing patreon rpg academy all all i will say is thank you i i have gushing emotions and feelings but i will press those down and uh and just let them lie so let's get into the show proper we're going to start with our gamers lexicon should be no surprise our lexicon for the day is dungeon crawl and james how would you define dungeon crawl So to me, a dungeon crawl is an adventure that takes place in an enclosed area. Uh, Doesn't necessarily mean like not a forest or whatever, but the adventure itself is enclosed and the DM has a lot of control. The challenges are determined by the creatures that live there and perhaps what has come before. Uh, These are often smaller locations, not like an entire world, but you can have them be pretty big, but we're going to get into that later absolutely i think for me the the key part of that is that it's uh sort of self-contained and Mm -hmm. and for the most part and that's where you know when i think of a dungeon crawl the first thing i think of is like a tomb uh you know an ancient uh, civilization that's buried underground and you're in you're underneath there in the sewers of maybe a major city or something like that but a dungeon can be anything that's Mm -hmm. self-contained uh it could be a floating castle in the sky it could you could even write a like a almost like a murder mystery where everyone's trapped, you know, if I think like clue that the movie, it's still sort of a dungeon crawl. If you can't leave that environment until you've either solved it or until like maybe a time limit has occurred or something like that. Right. Right. 
Or you're running away, right? Like, there's you could run away from the clue house if you needed to, or break down the door, and that's an adventure too. True. Um, so let's move into the general assembly, which again is going to be dungeon crawling. So we're just going to talk about some of the ways that we have done it in the past. Maybe some of the things that like lessons learned, uh, again, James, this is a lot's going to be on you. I will, as always just add <laughs> color commentary because I have nothing of substance to add. So I'll start with you when you are designing an adventure or a campaign, uh, or, you know, module, cause I know you do, you have published adventures in DMs Guild and, and such, is dungeon crawling something that you think, hey, I have to have this in here? Or does it go in for specific reasons? Like when and how and why would you include a dungeon crawl element in a game that you're running? So I don't think you need to have a dungeon crawl in an adventure, but I do think there are certain games where it is expected. And even in those games, I don't think it's required. Uh, for instance, Dungeons and Dragons, right? I think there's an assumption that you will be going into a dungeon at some point. I think D&D clones, uh, specifically like OSR sort of stuff, is based on a lot of jumping into a dungeon. You see characters with skills that are related to that. We're definitely going to get into that later as well. But it doesn't mean you have to. You can definitely have a rich, fulfilling story where nobody goes into a dungeon. That being said, dungeon really does have a very wide definition that we can get into for sure. Uh, the very first adventure I wrote for the Adventurers League does not have a dungeon in it. So no, I, I definitely think you do not need a dungeon. Uh, wilderness exploration is also a big part of the game, uh, as is political intrigue and that kind of thing. That being said, I think dungeon crawls are good for dungeon masters. They are these self-contained areas, like you said, uh, where we know everything that's happening in them. And so it's easier to adapt. It's easier to improv if the players zig when we're expecting them to zag, right? Like, you can have a cave with orcs and with kobolds in it. And maybe you're expecting your players to wipe them out completely. But what you can actually do is uh, maybe your players come over here and they get the kobolds to ally with them to go take out the orcs. And it's like, if this were, you know, happening in the wilderness or that kind of thing, you might need to figure out all sorts of information. But here, you know exactly the resources the kobolds have, how many soldiers, what their equipment is, what they're going to do, because you've outlined that beforehand making the dungeon and you can bring it that way uh and so you know there's it's it's much easier to improv when you're doing that sort of thing that's one of the strengths of dungeon crawls right is that it's a smaller world and so it's easier to control it's why dms like small worlds uh you know it's why curse of strahd is such a popular adventure Ravenloft is self-contained. It's like Taco Bell, right? There's only so many ingredients at Taco Bell, and they keep combining them to make uh, new dishes and new specials and things like that. That's what the dungeon is. You have a few different things you can play with. Uh, your players can tinker with them to their heart's content, and it's much easier for you because it's not everything under the sun. It's whatever you've put in that dungeon they can play with. Okay, so for me to kind of echo on to some of that is... Absolutely, dungeons are not required, even in Dungeons & Dragons, at least the way I feel. Totally. But I, I do think they have a place in the game. I, I think they can add a lot of fun elements to the game. Uh, again, particularly for someone like me who doesn't normally do it, it's kind of 
a big deal when I do. Mm-hmm. You know, wh- whether the players are like, oh, goody, we're going into a dungeon. It, it's definitely going to be something they, they probably will notice. Like, hey, this is weird. We're actually going into a dungeon. And I feel like there's some assumptions about what sort of things you're going to do when you mm-hmm. get into that yeah. dungeon. Uh, so for me, obviously, mapping. More. Uh, you know, are you going to actually have the players map or I know, you know, again, myself, I used to have this huge table that was nothing but a dry erase map and I would draw the map as we went, which was awful because I am not a good drawer, but, but there's (laughs) an element of mapping that you will see. Um, there's going to be traps more than likely. There's probably going to be puzzles of some sort and Mm -hmm. there's going to be combat encounters. Those are three things. If I'm thinking dungeon, all three of those are probably going to be in there in some, some uh, form or another. Is there any other elements that you think are pretty standard or you would want to call out for what are quote unquote required in a dungeon? Yeah, I do. Uh, I, well, there's definitely going to be treasure, right? <laughs> I, you see, I don't give out treasure, so I forget that I found one. <laughs> uh, well, there you go. That's true. That's true. Although um, the treasure could be like a great piece of story, right? Uh, something that unfolds, brings the plot further. That could be the treasure that's at the end of the dungeon or middle of the dungeon or whatever. And I also think there's an expectation that there are certain skills or abilities in games that are built for dungeon crawls that uh, characters will use when they are in the dungeon. For instance, uh, a rogue's ability to pick locks seems to come up a lot. Uh, to find traps, a lot of those roguey skills come up. And, you know, we think of dungeons as ancient tombs but uh if we think of it as like the king's castle right where you've got to break in and get some piece of information you're not fighting orcs you're fighting his guards that's still a dungeon crawl to me right you're still going through that so a heist can be a dungeon crawl it doesn't need to be an ancient tomb where you're fighting undead or whatever i think but you're using those skills um because there's still traps there's still locks there's still things that you need to fight or negotiate your way around that control this space that is self-contained so it doesn't need to be a cave it could be a castle filled with humans if you want it to be yeah again kind of going back to our original definition it's just an enclosed space that you're going to have an adventure in. So absolutely break it into the king's castle or to, you know, I'm trying to think, like, again, trying to break into like a nobleman's house during a, during a party, break into a temple. If it's, once you get into a thing, you have to do a thing in that thing before you can leave the thing. You're in a dungeon thing. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, so that's the that's the crux, right? Uh, you might be in a dungeon crawl and not even know it because there isn't a stalactite. And so, you know what I mean? Like, uh, yes. they don't realize because it's not a dungeon, they don't know. And so one of the things that's part of the fun is you get to use those skills we were talking about. You know, I called them rogue skills earlier but there's everybody has some abilities like that right like uh the wizard's stone shape spell in dungeons and dragons right is very effective in a lot of dungeons not so much if you're out there in the forest i mean there might be stones to shape still but you know not every single wall ceiling and floor is made of that kind of thing um you know so area of effect spells like shooting a cloud kill into an enclosed space is way more effective than shooting it into a forest and then jamming the door. Um, So, you know, (laughs) when I think of a dungeon crawl, I think of the abilities that are designed for that as well. Yeah, I can't say that I have read Lightning Bolt for 5th edition well, if at all. (laughs) But I clearly remember my old days in 2nd edition where I shot a lightning bolt down a hallway, not realizing that lightning bolts 
rebound and shot <laughs> yeah, myself because nice. you could actually get a twofer because <laughs> you would hit everything in the row and then you'd hit everything on the way back. But if you weren't careful about the distance, you could actually fry yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, I don't think that is the case in fifth uh, edition anymore uh, because that could be super fun. But there's no reason it couldn't be. Uh, <laughs> you could house rule it. And that's the other thing that I like about dungeon crawls. They often take place in an area where the player characters aren't supposed to be, right? Uh, they're invaders. They're, they're coming into someone else's space, often an enemy. Sure, yeah. Uh, Forbidden places. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Forbidden places, right? You know, if your players buy into that concept... You've got that great tension of like, what's going to happen next, right? Like if you and I went into some person's house, even if we were super competent and buff and had magical abilities, we would want to get in and out as quickly as possible. And you want to try to evoke that feeling of a heist or being invaders when characters go into a dungeon crawl to get some sense of story going on there. There's a lot to love about dungeon crawls, but building the atmosphere is one of my favorite things to do, right? So if you're in a forbidden temple to an evil god, right, there should be like skeletons of old sacrifices on the ground, and there should be all sorts of things in the rooms that cultists would put in the rooms and that kind of thing. That would also suggest something about the story, right? So maybe there's old sacrifices, but uh uh-oh, there's some fresh bodies here too. Right. It allows your players to use some more of their Sherlock abilities to sort of assume what's going on in the story and figure out what's going on without having to read a journal or listen to a villain monologue or interrogate a henchman, right? They get to use some of those skills and use the context clues to build that sort of thing around them. The best part is they start to interpret those clues that you leave behind in different yes. ways. Like you might you might do something that uh you know you just thought was cool or going to add atmosphere and they read into it and it gives you new story ideas and you're like, "Yep, that's exactly what it was." Yeah. So a couple things there I want to I want to kind of circle back around to mm-hmm. um so you talked about picking locks. Uh, absolutely, a dungeon is one of those places where I kind of feel like that is something that is expected, but it doesn't necessarily have to be the lock picking skill that the rogue has, as you mentioned. Yeah. A lot of times those can be puzzles. I mean, it's a very tropey. Yes, I think Indiana definitely. Jones and the Temple of Doom, the opening of doors can be, you know, a, a puzzle of some sort that everybody gets to participate in, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's for the characters to figure out or the players. There should probably be something that the rogue gets to do, like finding traps, though that's one I want to touch on a little bit because... I think that's a great time for that ability for the rogue to get some some shine. Mm-hmm. But you don't want to make it to the point where they're going every five feet, they're stopping <laughs> and looking for traps. Yes. You know, because that's going to take forever. So I think for me, traps uh, need to be very circumstantial. Like they need to be for a very specific reason. They're not just every long tunnel is going to have five traps in it. But right before you get to something important, there might be a trap there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm also either putting a trap at the very beginning so that they're like, oh, there are traps. We need to be pay attention to this. Or don't put any. So they're like, oh, okay, there's, there's no traps here. And then you have one big one at some point in, along the line. Right. Uh, you touched on not letting people know you're there. That's a big element, too, when it comes to, like, resource management. Mm-hmm. Sure, my fireball would take care of all <laughs> of this. But 
A, is that going to bring the roof down on top of us? And B, is it going to learn anything else in the dungeon that we're here that you know, we would prefer not to know that we're here? Totally. So, yeah, so yeah, this is the easy solution now, but is it going to cause bigger problems later? The trappings. You know, when you're dealing with a dungeon, I think it's good to try to engage all of the senses. What do you smell? What do you hear? You know, unless people are licking the walls, but you can get a, <laughs> you can get a sense of taste from your smells. So if there's fresh blood, you you might have a taste of copper in your mouth. That's a very common, like, hard-boiled detectives. They always right. talk about how they, they, they can taste the ozone from a lightning strike or they taste the copper from the blood in the air type of a thing. So make sure that you're engaging those all the senses, but you also don't have to describe every room in excruciating detail. Mm-hmm. At least I don't think you yeah. do. Um, you know, once you've established the baseline, like there's this, you know, demonic iconography you can just say it's always there. I'll tell you if it's not there, because that would be interesting. Right. But just assume that there's always going to be that. If there's bones, there's always going to be bones. So just don't think that you have to describe every room in a 15-minute monologue about what this room is, unless there's a reason that you need to do that, like there's a puzzle in this room, and what's there and where is important. I agree. A hundred, a hundred percent. Yeah, it's funny. If you read some older adventures, right, these uh, old designers go into sort of excruciating detail about what's in the room, naming every single thing, and uh, a lot of that is inconsequential to the adventure and to the story. So I think if you're going to mention something it needs to uh things that the players can interact with would notice and are gonna push the story further right so like if there's a statue in the room and it's going to turn into a stone golem you want to tell the players that when they enter the room that they see a statue but you don't need to talk about the dust that's on the statue's shoulder in every single room that you go into I loved your example, too, of saying, like, there's demonic writing everywhere and just letting the players know that up front. And then you don't need to say it into every single room that they go into. They know that there's demonic writing here and this is an evil place to be. And it's scary. Right. Right. You know, or uh, if they go into a palace and uh, you talk about how rich the architecture is and how beautiful and expensive everything looks, they're going to know that there's some stuff that they can steal in there. Right. (laughs) It's uh, it gets those juices flowing. But, and I love to engage the senses, but don't feel like you need to engage every single sense in every single room with every Absolutely. single object. Uh, again, unless because that allows you to manipulate things when you do. Uh, so, for example, if you talk about how the, the, the air is very stale and there's almost no air movement, which is why the dust is pretty much not disturbed on the floor. And then they get to a room where there is no dust. That's interesting. You don't have to describe every room having dust, but when you get to the room that doesn't, or maybe there's a there's a, a breeze, like the the dust motes are are swirling in a way. Maybe there's a secret passage that's not quite closed, and that's where the draft exactly. is coming through. Um, you know, may, maybe the iconography in this room is a little bit different. Maybe it's older, like the 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 where the religion came from before it was corrupted. Like there's ways that you can play with once you've established things. You really only need to talk about the differences if and when those are important. I totally agree. And I actually want to circle back to something you said about traps a little while earlier that I also agree with. Uh, Because traps are a huge part of the dungeon crawl experience. 
But I do think that unless your players are entering a death trap dungeon, which is a specific kind of dungeon we'll get to in a minute probably, remember that there are other creatures that live in this dungeon. Uh, and yep. they do not want to walk every single hallway every time they have to go down it, sweeping with a 10-foot pole looking for traps because they forgot where they are, right? Looking for pressure plates and tripwires and that sort of thing. Think about what the creatures who live there would actually want to guard. And then you'll start to think about good places to put traps. And your players are also then going to think like that. And it'll sort of make sense to them. Like, oh, the entrance, of course, this treasure chest that's filled with cool stuff. All of these things might be trapped. Things you would want to guard, not just necessarily every single random hallway, especially when you've hired guards to walk that hallway. Why would you put traps? It's just going to ruin your investment of guards. Often things that are locked are trapped, right? So think of things that way. If it's going to be something that is locked, you're going to want to make sure that it's trapped, maybe. But you don't have to. Not everything that is locked is trapped, and not everything that is trapped is locked. That's going to be a pattern your players figure out. Think about the real world, right? Some people just need locks. Some people need locks and a security alarm. Some people get a guard dog. Some people get even more enhanced security measures, you know, so think about things like that. Not everybody gets all of those things in general. They get a few of those things. So think about those kinds of things when you go to make a trap, right? Like a big dumb ogre is probably not going to have a lot of magic runes guarding his lair. Which brings me to another point that like dungeons, when we're young, we make these dungeons, right? That are like White Plume Mountain filled with all these monsters that don't make any sort of sense together just because we went through the monster manual and we liked the look of them and we wanted our players to fight them. That, that my experience with dungeons was the what they call the Gygaxian dungeons, mm-hmm. where one room would be like a magical mushroom forest, and the next room would have a fire giant for some reason. <laughs> right. And it's like they never interacted; like they just would not go between doors, and it makes no sense. And that's that's part of my issue, I think, with dungeons is I cannot do that. I have to have mm-hmm. a logical reason for everything. Like when I build, build a dungeon, I'm always like, where do they poop? Like I have to have a bathroom because everybody poops, so I can't just not have a poop hole somewhere uh, and if i have a poop hole do i have like a carrying crawler you right. know so is that what is that or do they have a gelatinous cube like what like what cleans mm-hmm. everything so i have to have a logical reason for everything that's happening which sometimes make the process of building a dungeon insanely difficult for me because i have to have to map all that out but the thing i want to jump in there i think that you kind of touched on is when i'm designing a dungeon i almost always be it have it be something that it's not the original owner Mm-hmm. You know, again, we talked about how like a, a castle could be a dungeon, but for me, like if you're going into ruins, it's almost never the original owners. They've, it's always been taken over. So you could have these traps. Uh, I know one of the things I've, I love to do is like goblins, they're dumb, but they're not that dumb. So mm-hmm. if the goblins go into this place and one of them gets stabbed in the heart with a spear from a trap they set off, they're probably going to mark that in some way. They and, and I will do that. I'll say there's a red X <laughs> next to the spear that's already sticking out. And then later on, you might see a red X again. That's the goblin saying, we think there's traps down here. Or you could have an ogre. I love the idea of having an ogre who builds a trap, but they actually write trap because they don't want to forget. Right, right. You know, that could be fun. (laughs) 
uh, to kind of make it feel like it's a real place that has been taken over. So I, I almost always have my dungeons be something maybe two or three owners removed. Mm-hmm. And I like to have elements of showing those past residents and how they've changed or affected things. Yeah, you know, that's also a good point. You hear a lot about, like, in the Spider-Man comic book, that New York is also a character. Or you hear that said about, um, like, The Wire, Baltimore's character. Cities and locations feel like characters. Your dungeon should be an NPC. You know, it should be a character. It has a history. It has a story to tell. Now, granted, you shouldn't get so deep into that story. It's like you were talking about in your world building episode, uh, faculty meeting before this, um, you know, talk about like getting too much into the details, right? You want to give the players the history that they need to know. Uh, So for instance, if this is a, a place where, you know, you have, um, it used to be, right, the, the evil cult place. Maybe there's some altars around. There are some of those bones around. There's that demonic writing. That's enough to give that place a creepy and scary personality. It feels like a character. They don't need to know who the ancient cult leader was a thousand years ago who's now dead, unless that cult leader is buried in a secret section of the dungeon, because the goblins who are living in it didn't notice that section, right? But if the goblins are running over the whole place, then nobody cares or is ever going to know about the ancient cult leader and the history he had and his love affair with X, Y, and Z and his dog who did this, you know? And the other thing about that is monsters like to move into places that favor them, right? So like a lich might move into a place that is filled with poison gas because lich doesn't need to breathe, but a lot of things that might come after a lich do need to breathe. And one thing to keep in mind is, uh, you know, Dungeon crawls, sometimes um, in older systems and OSR games, the monsters, no one cares about encounter balance, is what I'm trying to say. So the monsters have all these defenses, and the deck is really stacked against the adventurers, and they need to get creative. It does make sense that a monster would defend itself quite a bit. Uh, it's up to you and your party how much encounter balance really matters to you, and that really goes with your system of choice. But no matter what, uh, you know, when you invade someone's space, it's often difficult for you because they've set it up to be defensible. They don't want to be on equal footing with invaders. So a little history that favors the monsters that are living there now goes a long way in a dungeon. But uh, let me ask you a question now, Michael. Sure. So you said that you don't like dungeon crawls and... I do think there are some weaknesses that dungeon crawls definitely have. But let me ask you, why don't you like dungeon crawls? Well, the number one reason is because I'm not good at them. So when I run them, I run them poorly and they're not fun for encounters. But that's the cop-out answer. The biggest answer is the type of game that I run, which is very improvisational heavy, improvisational Mm -hmm. heavy, uh, heavy in role-playing, don't fit seamlessly with dungeons because generally dungeons are rigid in a way that, okay, there's a secret door there. You have to find that secret door to get what's behind the the thing. If you don't find the secret door, then you don't find it. Uh, It's very focused on combat. You can certainly negotiate. Absolutely. Like you don't have to kill everything in there. You can bribe it, seduce it, trick it, whatever. But I think that some, in some ways your options are a little bit limited. I'm not good at drawing maps. So those are always look awful. 
And I'm not a fan of having other people draw maps. I don't, because I, I, I started with that way where the DM would say, it's a five foot by 10 foot room. On the right wall, there is a door. Above that door is a ruby. And the somebody would have to draw that map. And, you know, it takes like a, it's like a five minute transaction for every door, for every room, for every hallway. And if they screw it up, you're not supposed to correct them. So then they get lost. I, that just isn't my type of game. So that's the biggest reason is one, I'm not good at them. And two, because I'm not good at them, I don't try to do them more. No, yeah, totally. You're absolutely right. I really hate having players map a dungeon because it ends up being you dictate to them what they should draw and you can't correct them. And uh, it's just awful. And it's not why we play role playing <laughs> games, most of us. Um, and it can be super boring. Yeah, I play a lot of my games on uh, on roll 20. So that really helps me because I don't need to draw it. I'm using dungeon tiles and I can reveal it as I go for my players. So that's sort of one way to get around having to map. And you also get to uh, slap down a whole map in Roll20 if uh, if you want to as well, which is pretty great. You can do that as well. So if you're playing online, that's one way you can get around having anybody really need to map. The other way you could do it is uh, you print out a copy of the dungeon uh, that you can mark up and simply check each room as the players go into it. Uh, and that way you sort of know the, the paths players have taken. You could use different colored pencils between sessions, but I recommend if you're first starting Dungeon Crawl, making one session dungeons. Dungeons that can be complete in one session because if you're jumping into a hundred room mega dungeon there's going to be all kinds of problems with that you've got to remember the story if a player doesn't show up one week they're going to be missing a big chunk of this dungeon story um and you need your players to track resources between sessions which can be really hard because they're not just keeping track of hit points they're keeping track of spell slots and action points and all kinds of other stuff depends on whatever system you're playing and that can make it pretty difficult. So what I recommend is making a one-session dungeon, right? And uh, I would recommend making as many rooms as you think you can get through in a dungeon and then reducing that by like 25% or so because inevitably you're going to get hung up doing something either in-game or outside the game, talking to people in town, Johnny was late because he was picking up pizza, whatever it is. So I recommend doing that. Or if you wanted to get Diablo about it, you could have like scrolls of town portal that get them back to town between sessions or some way they can leave town that gets a little video gamey though and and there's some issues with that as well some people think they can barricade themselves in rooms and some dms allow that but for me it's like well the right. people you've been slaughtering their friends are going to come looking for you they're not going to let you sleep so that's one of the things I, I was going to mention is when you were designing, because at one point we're going to turn this a little bit to when we're designing and kind of go through some like our best practices. But I, that's one of the things that I, that I would do if I'm going to design a dungeon is, is this a place where they cannot leave until they're done? Or is this a place where they can come in and out if they need to? Either way is fine. If I'm going to do one where they can come and go as they please, I'm probably going to put a clock on that adventure. So they can come and go as they please, but they still have a limited amount of time to finish it or something bad will happen so they can't literally clear a room go back clear a room go back back and forth that's, to me that's not fun either that's very gamey so you know i'm probably either going to say they can't leave or they can leave but if they can't leave there's probably some sort mm -hmm. of arbitrary like you got three days before 
Blah, blah, blah. Yes. Yeah, 100%. I totally agree. And at the very least, at the very least, if adventurers are clearing out prime monster living real estate, other monsters are going to be like, sweet, those adventurers cleared out this place for us. And now we can go ahead and move in here. Right? Right? Yes. That's Again, that's one of my best practices. They are going to want to take that over and make it their own. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or if you're, let's say you're attacking like an orc lair, backup can show up, right? Like maybe there are these orc raiders uh, raiding the land and you go to their hideout and uh, then you retreat like using hit and run tactics. These raiders who are out there are going to come back and they're going to... Yeah not want to leave those rooms because they're like, oh, people are attacking us now. We better stay and protect our people. And that's why I think it's a good idea to make a dungeon that lasts just one session, right? And use that 25% reduction rule because it doesn't even need to last. So those one session dungeons reduce a lot of your complex problems, right? Your players don't need to keep track of all their resources between sessions. You don't need to do that. You don't need to keep track of reinforcements, that kind of thing. And and what's really great is you don't need to map, right? Because people can sort of keep track visually in their head. You're keeping track along the way. And then that can be it, right? right. It, it can be really fine to track that way. And then you can slowly incorporate those things in if you want to have multi-session dungeon crawls. But when you're first trying out, just stick to one. And that goes for adventure design as well. If you're designing a dungeon crawl, try designing like one two-hour or four-hour dungeon and go there. Don't make your first design project an insane mega dungeon, right? That's how I would do it. Absolutely. So one of the things that I would want to touch on is one of the things that I've heard, again, being in around periphery of, of RPG so much, is one of the common problems that a first-timer or newer DM will have with a dungeon is they'll bottleneck it. Well, they'll have a room that everyone has to go through, and if you don't go through this room, you cannot get to the rest of the dungeon and then they put something in there that the players can't defeat or a puzzle that they can't figure out. And then it, basically the, the game just comes to a screeching halt mm-hmm. until they either you just decide, OK, fine, you're past it. Or they decide to give up and they, they leave or they all die because they're fighting the thing they're not supposed to fight. So I'm a big believer that if you're going to have a dungeon like that, you need to have more than one way to get to anywhere. And there can be an easy way, like maybe you solve the puzzle and you get through the door. If you don't solve the puzzle, a monster jumps out and you have to kill it, but then you still get through the door. Exactly. And that gets into our game design conversation a little bit. Some best practices, right? If you have an obstacle that can only be overcome in one single way, like a secret door, right, that can only be found with a specific skill check, then what's behind that door should be optional content. Uh, You know, not something that uh, is necessary for not, the story. Not for the people making the dungeon if it was real, but mm-hmm. for a game master, yes, that's yeah, terrible design. Yeah, exactly, exactly. For a game master, it's not good design, right? Sometimes you need to put aside your villain hat and put on the game master hat and think about what's going to be fun as opposed to thinking, why wouldn't the wizard put all of his troops in one room in front of his bedroom so that it can block that thing, right? Why wouldn't he have a gold dragon on his side if he's got a gem that can control them. Uh, sometimes, you know, that's just not going to be fun to get slaughtered. So you need to think about that things. So there's two sorts of obstacles you want to set up, right? 
First is obstacles that can only be overcome one way. Uh, those obstacles, which are not great design to begin with, but if you have something like that, uh, try to change it. And if you can't, the things that should be beyond that obstacle should only be optional content, magic items, an extra bit of story that helps you understand the villain's motivations, that sort of thing. Uh, the other thing to do is when you're designing a dungeon, uh, if you're designing it for yourself, maybe you have a solution in mind, but be open to other things, right? If there's a puzzle that you slide all these pieces around on a door to make it open, maybe it can also be bashed open by the barbarian right? And maybe you didn't think of that, but when the barbarian says that that's what they want to do, you let them go ahead and try to do that, right? Uh, and maybe that's one way you can succeed. Uh, if you are uh, writing it down for a published adventure, go beyond. Uh, think about the different ways something can be defeated, right? Like, uh, and you know, you don't necessarily need to put it in every single room's description. Maybe at the beginning, uh, you have a sidebar where you talk about the hit points and uh, the DC to unlock each door, so you know that those are always options whenever your players come up against a door, right? That is definitely one way you can do it. And one more word about those obstacles that only have one solution. Some of the things you can put after them could be some tidbits that make other obstacles easier, right? Like maybe there's a set of keys in the secret door that makes unlocking doors and chests easier, or, uh, you know, a magical password that gets you past a puzzle that kind of thing, those little rewards beyond the uh, one solution obstacles are a pretty good way to go. And when it comes to puzzles, one thing we should say is, right, puzzles, some groups love them, some groups hate them, some groups only love certain kinds of puzzles, right? So when you come up against some puzzles, uh, have those backup options, especially so that your players can sort of speed through them because they may have liked some of your other puzzles in the past, but maybe they really don't like this particular riddle or, uh, you know, the person who is great at solving puzzles, who's really the, the motivator there, can't make it that night. Be open to people having some other solutions, if you will, to those puzzles that will make their lives easier, even if they're not the solution to the puzzle. And so if you're publishing something, include that as well. Include other ways around the puzzle. So I want to touch on puzzles and then secret doors. So remind me when I forget the second one. Uh, so we've talked before about puzzles. I don't want to go through the whole thing again, but but I, I believe puzzles are, there's basically two things that happen. Either someone in the party knows it instantly because they've seen it before, they've experienced it before, whatever, and they're like, oh, the answer is blue. Or they will never get it no matter how long they, they try. And so you either have a puzzle that is not worth it because they're like, oh, yeah, I know that. Or this takes 40 minutes and they're, they're, finally you're like, okay, Google it. I don't care. You know? <laughs> uh, so you need to decide, is the puzzle for the players or is it for the characters? If it's for the characters, then skill checks can help them. Maybe you don't solve it, but you have the wizard roll intelligence check. Okay, you got five over. Here's three clues that you know, you know, help them along. If it's a puzzle for the players, that's a little bit different. But, but my big key, this is, again, this is the improvisational nature of mine, is I will present them with a lot of interesting things. And if they come up with something that makes sense, right, you figured it out. It's blue. You know, like just you don't have to figure out the answer. 
just make the puzzle and then let them be creative. And if somebody comes up with a really good argument that makes sense logically or they tie it together, like, oh, you remember that room that had that one image? I bet that's what this is. Yes, you're right. That's exactly what I meant. Of course. And let them feel smart. And you did no work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I totally, totally, totally agree. You know, when it comes to puzzles, particularly when it comes to riddles, I think you know, there are multiple answers sometimes for those things, and it works to have your players go with that. You should always have fun top of mind when it comes to a puzzle. You should be monitoring the fun of your players. Just saying, yeah, all right, it was totally blue the whole time is a perfect way to go. I also love that idea of having a clue sheet, not just for riddles, but for all your puzzles, right, ready to go, that you can uh, say, okay, make an intelligence check, or, oh, you noticed this with your perception, or whatever, uh, is a great way to help out your players, and then they feel like they're using the mechanics of the of the PC, and their PC has helped out in some way, which yep. is important. All right, and then to circle back to, to secret rooms, I've, it's the same thing for me, like with the trap. If I want them to know there's a lot of traps in this dungeon, I will put a trap at the beginning so that they know, hey, this place is trapped. If I want them to know that there's a lot of secret doors or there's a one particular secret door, very early on, they're going to find a secret door that's already open, that someone has already scavenged and opened. And, you know, clearly there was something in there and it's missing probably someone 20 years ago or maybe there's a dead person in there because they got killed by the trap, whatever. But I'm going to show them very early there are secret doors in this place. And then maybe I give them advantage when it comes time to roll or whatever the you know whatever system you're using, some sort of equivalent bonus, because they know that they're there. They might be looking for them. And for me, there's a big key. I don't play gotcha DMing. I used to. That's how I, I learned to be a DM was gotcha. And if someone did not say specifically what they were doing in a way that related to what they were trying to do, it wouldn't work. So like if someone says, I'm looking for a secret door, I'm like, where? And if they say, well, I'm going to search all the walls, but the secret trap was actually on the floor, they cannot find it. That's garbage. Do not do that. If they're looking for a secret door, they're searching everywhere. They're searching the whole place. The role will determine, okay, you spend five minutes and finally you look into the eye hole of the picture. And yes, there's a... Yeah, something behind yeah. and if you want to do that, right, if you want to be able to give your players uh, the time to search an entire room or that kind of thing, remember the dungeon is a living, breathing thing. So, okay, you're going to take 10 minutes to do that. What's the rest of the party doing? Oh, you're watching the door. Well, eight minutes into this guy searching, sure, he finds the trap door, but also there's a whole horde of orcs coming down the hall because they heard you, you know, get into a fight with their friends uh, two rooms ago and they've prepared themselves and now they've all rallied and they're coming your way. So keep it interesting and keep the story going while the players are searching for that kind of thing too, right? One other thing to think about too is dungeons, like we said, are enclosed spaces, but they don't have to be these kick-in-the-door style enemy fortresses, right? Uh, if your players are more into intrigue and, uh, you know, interaction with NPCs, something you could do is like... Have a dungeon be a wedding, right? These are living, breathing places where people go. And maybe they need to steal the magic cufflinks of the father of the groom, right? And so while they are there, they look for different opportunities. Maybe they get there early, right? 
and they know that, okay, everybody is in their rooms getting ready, and then the ceremony's going to happen here, and then the reception's going to happen in this other big hall, and they get to pick and decide where they're going to strike. This is still a dungeon crawl. The creatures are moving around and going to all different places. They get a chance to sort of scout out. They can charm, deceive, move their way around, and do different things like that. You know, and maybe there, uh, you know, there are complications, right? They they learn that the mother of the bride is in a room where they need to be, and she's getting dressed, so they need to wait unless they're going to be seen. So they wait for the ceremony, and then somebody sneaks off and does it like that. Right, but but I have to say, the first thing that came to my mind when you brought up wedding was I would have a scene where they catch either the bride or the groom making out with someone else. <laughs> yeah, totally. And then, you know, and then then obviously you've gotten them on your side because they don't want you to tell their secret. And then mm-hmm. obviously you're going to reveal that secret at the right moment so that it throws everything into chaos so that you can get your escape. Exactly. Exactly. And so you've got a lot of fun stuff going on when you tie an event to a dungeon like that, right? It creates these different opportunities and timetables, and it does one of my favorite things to do in a dungeon crawl, which is hard to do. This is one of the weaknesses of dungeon crawl, which is introduce the dungeon boss or the villain before there's like some climatic showdown, right? So in our wedding example, right, if it is the father of the groom who is the evil villain, you see them all over the place before maybe there's some kind of fight, right? You see them uh, during the ceremony, you see them in a toast, you might see them in a receiving line, that kind of thing. Uh, And you get to interact with them, you get to see how they act. Maybe you see them being a little evil or a little nice. You know, you can really make a rich story with that as opposed to just being like well we made it to the final room here's the bugbear boss i guess we need to fight that person uh there's ways to do that too in a more traditional dungeon crawl right the henchmen are talking about that person they're really building that orc leader up right maybe uh he or she has um you know some kind of uh crazy personality so you know when you meet them that they're not to be trifled with or maybe uh, they build them up and, and they're totally, uh, small, you know, and, and it's, it's hilarious. Uh, and so you can have that sort of plot twist built into that, right? Um, or maybe they're like this crazy, awesome spellcaster and small. So you get like a double plot twist could be really fun. It's like the Joker being on the PA in Arkham Asylum as Batman's going through and he's let all the criminals loose. He's taunting him, you know, can you find ways for that to happen as well so the villain gets to talk to the characters before that battle and you get to sort of build that relationship how do we make that work well in old editions they had magic mouths that were exactly that you could leave a message on the wall that when you walked in the room a mouth would appear and say a thing Mm -hmm. yeah yeah that's perfect magic mouth yeah writing on the wall in blood sending stones anything like that is a really great way to go you want to give the villain who lives there personality, right? Because then it gives the dungeon personality and it lends to that enclosed intrusion feeling we were talking about. So one of the things, because I feel like we're jumping around a little bit, but that's fine. As <laughs> um, I want to get to loot, um, yes. like I said, usually one of the, the components of a dungeon is that there's something inside there you want to get, either because it's a plot item or it could be just bonuses, whatever. One of the things that I like to do, because I was always frustrated by this, again, by dungeons I ran as a child, is like you would kill, say, an, uh, a goblin, 
And behind the goblin, there would be a chest. He opened the chest, and there's like a wand of fireballs. Why wasn't the goblin using that? You know, so I always want, like, if, if there's a really cool, powerful item, probably give that to someone. Now, you can, you can mess with it a little bit because, obviously, goblins, they may not be smart enough to use it the right way. Think of almost like Numenera and like a cipher. They might do something with it that it wasn't supposed to do, but it still helps them. So it's not like you're going to kill your players because you give a goblin a wand of fireballs, but something happens because they're going to use these things. They're, they might keep the gold in a chest or the emeralds or, or the, the map to the thing that they don't know what it is, but that's what you're after. But if there's a dagger in there that can cut through metal... They're going to be using that. The chieftain's going to have it, or the chieftain's main guard will have it. Don't, it's one of those disconnects for me that I can't get around having these powerful items that aren't being used by something smart enough to use them. Absolutely. I 100% agree, right? Like, even with things like potions of healing, if you had something that could heal you instantly, you would carry that around on your belt wherever you went with you. So why are they keeping them in chests and behind bookshelves and in all these inaccessible places, right? Yeah, you would wear it totally. Well, you can just jump in there. That could be kind of on the lines of a puzzle where if I fight the goblin, the goblin's probably going to end up using that potion so I can't have it. If I can negotiate or maybe put them to sleep or, you know, kill them in their sleep, whatever, then I do get the bonus. So it kind of still gives you a different avenue. You can just kick down the door and kill everything, but then it might be harder because you're losing those resources that you would have if you would handle it a different way. Totally. I could not have put it better myself. <laughs> All right. So uh, we've talked about kind of dungeons, like, you know, what they are in whole. They can be basically anything. They can be the, the original owners or it could be multi owners have come through and made changes. They usually include traps and puzzles, secret you know, areas, that kind of thing. Uh, they generally cultivate in a large battle at the end or some sort of large conflict. Mm -hmm. Are there any other elements of dungeon design that you can think of that we haven't touched on that you would say, like, this is a best practice when I'm designing a dungeon? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, that is a good question. I feel like we've covered a ton of stuff about dungeon crawls. Uh, one other type of dungeon crawl I'd like to talk about real quick is the death trap dungeon. Death trap dungeons are dungeons that have, in general, more trap than monster. Uh, they're like your tomb of horrors is the classic example of a death trap dungeon. Uh, and so, you know, there is, uh, uh lots there to, uh, to kill the player characters. Uh, and there's a couple things about that. The first thing I would want to say is, uh, death trap dungeons are tricky, uh, because you don't want the players, uh, to be poking every tile with a 10 foot pole, right? Like that can be boring uh, for, if it's fun for your group, great. Then go ahead and run all the death trap dungeons. Uh, but if not, uh, maybe you want to give your group like some sort of time limit associated with it uh, as there often was with these adventures back in the day so that they won't do that, that they'll be a little more fast and loose as they're going through that dungeon. You're also going to want to have a story that ties into your death trap dungeon. Why is your your death trap dungeon there, right? So think about those things. And then the other thing is think about traps. We talked about obstacles earlier. The same rules apply. Have multiple ways for your players to overcome traps and let them use logic, even if it's not written down at the adventure or, or something you thought of, right? So like if there's this giant spinning wheel of death and a player throws a tangle foot bag to gum up the works, if that would make sense, 
let it make sense and let them move on and uh, keep getting through that dungeon uh, reward clever play. The other thing I would say about dungeon delves is uh, these are my favorite sorts of products to buy because dungeons are self-contained. You can drop them into any adventure that you are running with usually little to no adjustments. Uh, so if you're running a big improv game and you need something, you can drop those in. Uh, so I would say those are great to, to buy. Check out uh, two books. Uh, Book of Lairs from Cobalt Press is a great one to check out. Uh, I'm not trying to chill for them for anything, but it's just a great book, so definitely check that out. And 4th Edition D&D had a book called uh, Three Room Dungeons called Dungeon Delve. It was great. Um, I was actually going to grab that and, and pull it in, but you, yeah, I have that on my shelf. Nice, nice. Uh, that's awesome. Yeah, check them out. They're great. Well, And I was actually, one of the things I was going to ask you guys as we get close to wrapping up is would, do you have a favorite dungeon that you would suggest that people, you know, something you've written that's available or one that you've bought? Like if you're going to, someone's going to run a dungeon, what product would you have them go and grab? Oh man, that's a, that's a really good question. Those are two of my favorite books right there. Um, I like those shorter dungeons and those feature lots and lots of shorter dungeons that you can drop in. I like those shorter adventures for all the reasons, right? We, we stated the single session adventure is really great. In addition to those products, I also am a fan of the Wizards of the Coast hardcover adventure for fifth edition Storm King's Thunder because it's got a ton of, again, shorter one to two session dungeon delves that are really, really creative. You've got a lot of variety in there and they provide interesting creatures, right? Um, dragons and all sort of their allies and stuff. And there's great situations going on in there, great story tied to each cloud castles and volcanic lairs and iceberg mm. lairs and, you know, that kind of thing that you get with giants. There's even an underwater one. It's really awesome. So I would say, yeah, check out Storm King's Thunder because that is a really good one. For me, I have something exciting, but I can't talk about it right now. <laughs> so to to be continued on that then. Yes, yes, yeah. How about you? What do you, you have any favorite products? Well, what I was going to say to first of that was that um, if you're like me and you don't do them very often, or maybe you've never done them before, sprinkle them in slowly. Uh, you know, as you, James said, one session or maybe even less than one session. Like I'm a big fan of like the sewers. There's, there's where rats in the sewers. You got to go into the sewers. There's like three rooms and then you're done. You know, you can do the whole dungeon in an hour. The, the key for me is to read the table, which is something that I've, I can do now. I could not do when I was 12 years old. Are they having fun? And by them, I mean your players. Like if you put a dungeon and they're all, and you see them light up like, oh, this is cool. I'm, I'm excited about going into a dungeon. Then maybe you let that happen more. If no one seems to care, or even if you're in the dungeon and you got this puzzle and no one seems to care, just fast forward, get through it, get to the end, get them back out where they want to be. Just because you you built a dungeon doesn't mean people have to go through that dungeon. Exactly, exactly. Part of the fun of dungeon crawls, right, is they're self-contained and easy to change. And if you're not having your players map, uh, you can totally speed them along and just bring them to the boss room or end room or essential room of the dungeon and they don't even know they've missed six other rooms. There is one other thing I wanted to mention which is the balance between variety and 
everything making sense with your story, right? Um, you can end up with those Gygaxian dungeons that you were talking about, Michael, where, you know, you've got uh, fire giants and gnomes and sharks and all kinds of things in six rooms in a dungeon that don't make any sense. But you can also go too far the other way. And it's like, there's four kobolds in this room. Then there's five kobolds in this room. Then there's four kobolds in this room. That is going to get monotonous pretty quickly. So think about what's fun for your players, right? If it's an intrigue, design it for intrigue. If it's stealth, design it for stealth. If it's kicking the door, kicking the door. You know, if it's a variety, it's a variety. And then think about the things that, you know, the creature might have besides them that live in this layer. So like a kobold is going to have lots of traps. They might have drakes. Um, maybe they've got some, you know, uh, lizards there that they're working with, that kind of thing. So so think about that and try to spice it up uh, without getting too wacky uh, in there. So one other quick thing, that just what you said made me think of this. It's very classic tropey where you will have the, the good guys sneak into like an encampment, like a whole army of the bad guys to maybe like rescue one person. Think of Raiders of Lost Ark when Indy tries to get Marion out of the tent when they're surrounded by the Nazis in the desert. Just because... Everyone else in the dungeon has now been alerted to the presence of our heroes does not mean that they are all going to gather instantly in one room and now be an indomitable force against the players. There's going to be chaos. There's going to be some people who are afraid and they're like, I don't want to fight the thing that's killing other people. I'm going to go hide in this room. Uh, There should be ways around like I just don't I don't want it to be like oh no well that person hit the alarm and now there's a line in the sand and you just you know sorry there's 4000 goblins on the other side of this room now you can't get across that's that may be realistic I don't know but it's not what we would expect from being TV movie watchers give your players a way to keep going even if it's more difficult because of the alarm You're absolutely right. That chaos is where the fun comes in. So think about that. And to get an idea of what that's like, uh, watch some like historical war movies. You know, um, you're saving Private Ryan's. I just saw Dunkirk, so it's top of mind for me. Uh, And these aren't spoilers. I'm just making stuff up off the top of my head. But like, you know, there's people who run away. There's people who hit the deck. There's people who stand their ground and fight. There's people who will betray uh, so that they can get on the side of the enemy and, and maybe not be killed themselves. You know, there's all kinds of people they'll run away in there, prepare, uh, or try to find uh, others to, to join forces with and then be the reinforcements. So think about that chaos because that's really where the fun uh, in these crazy battles is. So for me, the last thing I will say is I do have one dungeon that I ran a few years ago that I'm particularly proud of. It is it's a little bit of a gotcha thing, but that's, it's gotcha in the way that Michael enjoys um, so, so, so anyone listening, feel free to use this against your players. I called it the layer of the zombie spiders and the actual map does not matter, but basically there were these spiders and so in the dungeon, there were some tiny, like normal spiders and they got up to like the size of a draft horse spider. They were always sort of white iridescent and they absorbed necrotic energy, but, but no one knows that to start with. And because they are in this layer they're keeping the zombies in a state of like rest. But as players are wont to do, they start killing these spiders. Zombies start to rise. So the more spiders you kill, the more zombies you have to fight. And at the end, there's these two, again, like draft horse sized spiders that are like sitting on these sarcophagi. And if the players haven't figured it out yet, they kill those. That's what allows the two big like mummy lords to arise at the end. So it's a bit of a gotcha that if they don't figure it out, 
But if they do, it's super easy to get through. They just have to find a way not to kill the spiders, and they can walk through the dungeon otherwise. Oh, I love that. I love that a bunch. And to me... That is not a gotcha, right? That is something that's rooted in the world. It's a mystery. Uh, and your players have plenty of opportunity to figure it out. And if they don't, by the time they get to the end of that dungeon, uh, you know, that's on them a little bit. And it makes for an interesting <laughs> story just as much whether or not they figure it out, right? Um, which is really fun and awesome. You haven't required them to figure out the mystery to beat the dungeon. But if they do, it's going to help them quite a bit. Right. Uh, and I also am terrified of giant spiders. So <laughs> I think I would attack them anyway. Man, uh, it is a really interesting conflict you would set up for someone like me who is afraid of giant spiders. So, I, so again, I, I said that was the last thing. I got to throw another one. I meant to say it's this fun. earlier and I forgot. This is for DMs and for players. Dungeon crawls are a great place to role play. They, they, but you have to be, you mm-hmm. have to do that. You can't. You, it's easy for me to see, to see people dropping into game mode where my my character moves four squares forward and I hit this song. Yeah. As players try to inject role play into this, like you said, like maybe your character is afraid of spiders, so they would rather go fight the giant mm-hmm. and let you fight the dog sized spider, even though the dog sized spider is nowhere near as dangerous as the giant. You know, are they interact? Are they bringing up? Good job, Ted. You know, you lost all of our healing potions and poker last night. <laughs> Try to interject personality into every moment that you can. DMs, let them do that. Players, force mm-hmm. yourself into doing that. Yeah, yeah. And by the same token, DMs should feel like they don't need to put a creature or trap in every single room. Think about the place where you live, right? Every room may get used throughout the day, but at all times there is not like a person in every single one, right? So feel free to let there be some empty rooms that maybe aren't trapped uh, or have a monster in them, but maybe have some interesting story information in them, right? Like if you're in a cave of werewolves, for instance, and you're just there to kill some werewolves. Oh man, look at this. We found some royal garments in here. Turns out this werewolf is a noblewoman and now there's going to be political implications if we kill this werewolf. So, you know, you can still have interesting story items in a room. It doesn't have to be filled with traps, monsters, and treasure every single time. Uh, let Just kind of let logic guide you, and it'll be really helpful. So, as always, we will throw it out to the audience. Anyone who's listening, please write in comments, hit us up on Twitter, email us. Let us know when you have used Dungeon successfully, what what things we left out that you would have included as best practices. Maybe share your lair of the zombie spider examples and what you know we were particularly proud of. Any puzzles that you're particularly proud of or anything that you just want to share about this episode, please uh, comment so that we can react to it. And maybe we'll touch on it on a future episode. Uh, James, we're running a little bit long, so we're just going to go ahead and cut off that last segment. We're not going to do new students today, uh, but we'll have you on in the future. Maybe we'll do like a whole episode is do three of those because I really like them. They're a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. They're Any awesome. uh, last words from you? Anything you want to talk about? want to plug? Let people know where they can find you. Just want to thank you for having me on, Michael. This was awesome. Big fan of the show. So it's really, really great to be here. Love being part of the 
uh, faculty for a day. That's been really fun. Uh, remember, twitter.com slash James Intricasso if you want to follow me, worldbuilderblog.com, and don't split the podcast network. Thanks for listening to the RPG And also, Academy if you're going to be podcast. at Gen Con, the flagship come hang out with me Academy on network. Thursday night at if you our Q&A or come Wednesday night to the RPGAacademy.com so, and visit our site uh, partners this has for been additional Michael. entertainment This has and been James. And we we do this out of love for the hobby and for you, our fans. Bye. The podcast and site content will always be free for you to enjoy and utilize. But we do have expenses related to the show. If you'd like to help out in any way, please visit patreon.com slash Academy and check out the rewards we are providing for your monthly pledges. We use all funds that come in to improve the show and give you better content and quality. And if you don't have the coin to spend, don't worry. You can still help us out in many ways. You can subscribe to our show on iTunes and or Stitcher Radio. You can leave us a five-star review. Also, if you clear your cookies and you visit Amazon or the DriveThruRPG site through our portal, we get a small percentage of what you pay, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Just like any RPG, our site works best with open lines of communication. We love talking with our listeners about everything. Please contact us with any questions, concerns, and comments that you have. We also love to hear feedback and experiences from your own games. You can email us via podcast at therpgacademy.com and reach us on social media, such as Facebook and Google Plus at the RPG Academy. But Twitter is usually the fastest way to reach us. You can find my favorite co-host, The Caleb G, at The Caleb G. And you can find my favorite co-host, Michael, at The RPG Academy. Thanks for listening. And as always, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. Right.